23, amen? So let's turn over there. You always know when it's time to go back to school, when people come in with their new outfits. College students all got their hair done, and Alondra's hair looks awesome. Christopher got a new haircut, looking good over there. School starts tomorrow. Wow, amen. Let's read here Psalm chapter 23. We're actually going to read the entire chapter. The entire, all six verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so today we're going to focus specifically on verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, when you read this passage, what you get are really words of comfort from God. So the title of our message this morning is Four Words and Four Holy Provisions. You see, at first he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The first word we're going to talk about is the word hope. You know, David gives this tremendous illustration. Now remember what the rest of the, of the chapter was saying. He says, the danger has passed. I, I fear no evil. And so a war has gone on. And now he's sitting on a table, on a at a table on a hilltop, and he's in the presence of his enemies. But there is no fear; they are down in the shadow of death in the valley. And David has no fear. In fact, he says that God personally has prepared this spread of food, and he's looking down over this valley of enemies, and these enemies are harmless. But more than likely, envious. At the very least, annoyed. You know, sometimes Christians can be annoying. Sometimes the life of a disciple can be annoying to somebody that's not. Why are you always happy all the time? What's up with these hugs? Why are you calling me? Why do you want to hang out? I'll see you next week. It can get annoying. But why is that? The heart of a disciple of Jesus is the same as that of the heart of David, which is very simple. You have nothing to fear. You don't care what people think about you. You don't care about overstepping your bounds. You don't care about loving too much. You give all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength to God, and you do exactly what he calls you to do. That's the heart. You're you're in the presence of your enemies. You're, You're devouring this incredible spread put on by the Lord himself. And yet you don't care what anybody thinks. You know, David has such a strong confidence in his relationship with God. You know, I sort of imagine um, sitting at a table. Now, this past week, uh, Courtney and I celebrated our anniversary. And once a year, when we go out to eat, 
I'll, I'll fork up the money and I'll buy a steak. All right. So we went out to this restaurant for, uh, for our anniversary, and I'm like, babe, I, I, I know that we probably can't afford this, but I really just want a nice, big, juicy steak. I'm getting the 14-ounce ribeye. Hey. And she goes, well, if you get the ribeye, I'm just going to get a plate of vegetables. Oh. I go, okay, well, we'll call it even. I'll share my steak, and you'll share your veggies. She goes, sounds like a great deal. So that was our anniversary dinner. And I sort of imagine, we don't eat like that very often. Like I said, once per year. But we'll have some awesome meals at the house. And Courtney's really become an amazing cook. And it's not rare where we're sitting there enjoying a meal, usually not a steak, but we're enjoying a meal, and our dog will come over, this little 20-pound Karen Terrier, and he'll just, yeah, well, he's put on quite a bit of weight, he's probably about 30 pounds now. And he just kind of hobbles over, and he just sits at my feet, and he just stares at me. Anyone have a dog that can relate to this? And they just stare, unashamed, just drooling, just hoping and waiting, and just wondering if, are you going to love me enough to give me one bite tonight? All I'm asking for is just one bite. Like, that's what I hear him say. He's like, just, just one bite, please. I just, just, a, just a taste. And normally I don't give him anything. But he's just drooling over this one bite. And I imagine David, he's just got this giant spread. Just imagine the Lord putting on a Thanksgiving feast for you. And it's just for you. It's just for you. <laughs> and you're just surrounded by your enemies. And they're just drooling over the thought of, wow, the kingdom looks so awesome. Yeah. Wow, what I would do to have friends like that. Yeah. What I would do to have that sort of love in my life. And though a lot of people won't admit it, they're actually having those thoughts. Yep. They feel those sort of things. Yeah. And they're just like, man, that, that looks incredible. But I know in order for me to have that, it's going to cost me something. And that's really the, the hang-up where a lot of people get stuck. And so we as Christians have so much to be thankful for. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so many things that we have that we just take for granted. I mean, yeah. by definition, taking something for granted is somewhat of a scary thought. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a sort of entitlement. Right. Like, it's granted to you, and now you're going to expect it, and you're just taking it for granted. You see what I'm saying here? And we've got to be careful. That we don't take what the Lord has given us for granted. Yeah, right. You know, I've, I've got no problem giving my kids something that they really want. I, sometimes, sometimes I'll hold back because I want to see how bad they want it. But oftentimes, I'll, if they really want something, I'll, I'll give it to them. And it's not because I like spoiling them or anything like that, but it's because I love them. I care about them. I cherish their thoughts. And I enjoy building memories with them. But, you know, it's hard to give something to an ungrateful person. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like my kids are being ungrateful, then it's very easy not to give them something. Because I want to see a change in attitude. And I think, in a sense, God is very similar to that. I think when he looks down at us, the more grateful we are, the more appreciative we are, the more thankful we are to him, I think the more he wants to give. And I'm not preaching the, the gospel of prosperity here. I'm just saying that God wants you to live a joyful life. There's no scripture in the Bible that says he wants you to be miserable for your entire life. There were a lot of times where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and they're reclined at the table. The Bible literally says they're reclined at the table. And I don't know about you, but when I'm reclining, I'm chilling out. 
And I think that's the life that God wants us to live, generally speaking. Yeah. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we, uh, are we a thankful person? Am I a thankful person? Do I have this heart of a child that just says thank you, thank you, thank you to God uh-huh. for all these incredible things that he's blessed us with? We need to be looking for opportunities right. to thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Look over in Romans chapter 15. All right, Hi, We're probably not coming back to Psalm 23 today, so... You don't need to hold your place there. But in Romans chapter 15, we're going to see this idea of hope that God has given us. In, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, okay. Paul writes to the church in Rome, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God in his, pre- in his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns. To your names. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him and all you people. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope in the power. Of the Holy Spirit. What amazing passage. He says, all you Gentiles. You should be thanking God right now. Can we just take a moment to just thank God, Gentiles, for our salvation? I don't hear it. We need to really thank God for the salvation that he's given us as Gentiles. You know, God gave us the Holy Spirit. Why does this passage say God gave us the Holy Spirit? So that we may overflow with this hope. That God's poured out into us that we may overflow. You know, hope hope spreads. Mm. When you got a piece of good news, you want to tell somebody. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yesterday, I had spent two and a half hours with a good friend of mine, Cesar Limon, down in Portland, Oregon, after our ICCF class, which, on a little tangent right here, Lindsay and Jesse did awesome on their ICCF class. You know, we spent two and a half hours together, we're sharing good news, just having a great time. We do it once a month where we just hang out and, and really build that, that memory together. And I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating, about 20 minutes after I left, he calls me. And I'm like, oh no, I must have left something, you know? And I answer the call, I'm like, hey Caesar, how's, is everything okay? How's it going? And he says, bro, I've got more good news to share with you. I said, more good news? <laughs> you know, lay it on me, man. And he gave me all this good news. It was incredible. Um, I'm not going to spoil it because it's happening this week. And so I'll tell you next week. Amen? Okay. Come back to church next week. You'll hear the good news. <laughs> but, you know, hope spreads. Hope spreads. I want to do a little illustration here. All right. All right? Two-part illustration. All right. I'm going to call on you. And when I call on you, I want you to stand up. Okay? So I'm going to say your name, and in the first part of the illustration, I just want you to stand up. That's something. Everyone down? Yeah. I'm only going to call on people I know their names. (laughs) All right? I'm going to try to keep it at a decent pace, so keep up with me. Yeah. 
Danny, Selena, Michaela, Tim, Michael Smith, Anthony, Hannah, Cross. Eric, Cross, and Lindsay. All right, Lindsay. How long did that take me? 20 seconds. Now I'm going to go at the same pace, but if you get called, I want you to turn and at my pace, call on somebody else, okay, and just keep going. I'm the only one that's going to keep track, all right? And now, uh, Courtney, would you time us with your yeah. fancy Apple Watch <laughs> that you got on Craigslist? <laughs> Everyone down? So, for example, I'm going to say Danny, and he's going to immediately turn and say Anthony, Tyrese, etc. All right, and at some point, you're not going to know people's names, so just point to them. All right, here we go. Akila, Michaela, come on, go faster, bro, come on. All right, we're starting over. As soon as I say your name, you stand up and point to somebody else. You can even do it on your way up if you want to be rapid. Yeah, and then do those people. And everyone, if you get called, you pick somebody else. All right, Courtney, you're going to time us? Yeah. And we keep going. Yeah, keep going. I believe in mercy, so I'm going to pick you again, okay, bro? You got this. Akila. Tyler. Tush. Michaela. Apostles. 
The fourth level of relationships were the rest of the apostles. There were 70 apostles that Jesus appointed to go out and preach the word. Beyond that, I would say his fifth level of relationship were the 500 people that after his resurrection he appeared to, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. His sixth level of relationship would have been all the people that experienced him during his lifetime, say the 5,000 that he fed on the hillside. And then the seventh level of relationship, well, that's all the rest of us. who never got a chance to say, hi, Jesus, my name is so-and-so. But through the scriptures, we now know the power of God. You know what's so amazing about Jesus? Is though he had different levels of relationships, they were all good relationships. Sometimes we think because we're not best friends with somebody or we're not super intimate with somebody, then it's not a very good relationship, right? Jesus had amazing relationships with everybody. They weren't all intimate. They weren't all super deep, but they were good. They were positive. They were deliberate. They were solid. And if it wasn't, it wasn't Jesus' fault. And I believe that as disciples, we need to live out this hope. And we need to, in a sense, have our level one relationships, our best friends. The people we let in that we just tell everything to. Now, you can't do that with everybody. You've got to be selective. You've got to be wise and pray through this. But you've got to have your few that you're focused on. Then beyond that, you've got to have your 12, the people that are always there for you, people that are going to be there in your wedding. They're going to be there on your birthday. They're they're people that you deeply care about that deeply care about you. And then you'll have your other levels of relationships that aren't going to be as deep or intimate, but they're still awesome relationships. You guys with me here? Hope spreads. And when we have this in our mind, that we've got this incredible hope given to us by God as Gentiles, then God wants us to overflow with that hope and share with everybody around us. You guys with me here? The second thing that David talks about in Psalm 23, he says, you anoint my head with oil. I want to talk about consecration. Look over in Romans chapter 8. I believe that consecration is one of the most underrated tools that God has given us as Christians. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful men, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Some of you guys are reading this like, what is that talking about? Here's the thing. The Bible says that God gave the law. But because of the sinful nature, it didn't work. You know, a lot of times people in the Old Testament, they talk about in the Old Testament, there are ten commandments. Everyone's heard of the ten commandments. But the reality is when you read the Old Testament, there's over 600 commandments. That's a lot of commandments. Now, who can perfectly live up to all 600 commandments every single day of their life? No, because we have a sinful nature. And so what the scriptures are saying is the law didn't work because of the flesh. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be an atoning sacrifice for us so that through his blood, we would have the opportunity not to live by the law, but to live by his spirit. And because we live by his spirit, number one, there's no condemnation. 
God doesn't look at you and see a version of you. No, he looks at you and he sees his son, Jesus. That might be mind-boggling for you, but the Bible says that we are clothed in Christ when we become Christians. That we are washed as white as snow. God doesn't look at you and hold all your sins from the past against you still. He doesn't even remember who you were before you were a disciple of Jesus Christ. He looks at you and there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? What are we talking about? That's consecration. That's consecration. This is a provision from God. That God makes you holy. That God sets you apart. God has declared you consecrated and you are no longer under the condemnation of the devil. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's going to fire you up. Amen? You know, when I studied the Bible in high school, I had gone to church my whole life, but I was, in a sense, a product of the media. You know, I was one of those just insecure, quiet, timid, shy teenagers that cared about what everybody thought. I just wanted to gain around me just a, a large group of friends, and I thought school was a popularity contest. Didn't spend a lot of time on my schoolwork. Thank God I graduated eventually. <laughs> But you know, it's, uh, it's really incredible how God has transformed me. And I'm not saying this to boast in myself, but to boast in Christ. Yeah. Because that's what God does. Yeah. God will take the lowly, and he will use them to shame the wise. Yeah. God will take the weak and shame the strong. Yeah. That's what he does, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Right. And when you are consecrated, it doesn't bring a feeling of doubt or insecurity. It's replaced by a feeling of relief. There are no guilt trips. There are are no fears inside of you. God's perfect love has driven out the fear in your heart. And now you see that you are being called by God. And you are encouraged to live a life worthy of the message you've been called to follow. The third thing that David alludes to is he says, my cup overflows. The third word. Is abundance. You know, suffering is universal. And our real challenge is when we view suffering, that we have the heart to read. talks about how we have the opportunity to store up all of these things given to us by God in our, in our barns, so to speak. And our barns are overflowing. You know, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, I know you guys have given up everything to come follow me. And because you've done that, Now you're going to receive 100 times as much in this present age. This is a provision of God. That God wants you to live this life of abundance. Jesus alludes to this in John chapter 10 and verse 10 when he says, I have called you you that you may live life, life to the full. 100 times as much. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fields, etc., etc. And with them... Persecutions. Now we love that opening part. But then Jesus says you'll also receive 100 times as much persecutions. You thought that you got persecuted in the past for being a Seahawks fan? You thought you got persecuted in the past for perhaps another team that you liked or a TV show that you enjoyed? Any Gilmore Girl fans out there? I used to to persecute Gilmore Girl fans back in the day. You know, you thought you got persecuted, but now you're going to follow Jesus? Ooh, now you're in for it. 
Neither for some real persecution. Jesus says 100 times as much. But you know what? Persecution in abundance is good. Yeah. It's good because this is the one thing that we get in abundance that actually builds our character. Yeah. I mean, you can give 100 times as much to a fool and you'll stay a fool. But you give somebody challenges, suffering, hardships. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that these are the things that produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. We need to be grateful for the challenges that God gives us. You know, when I was thinking about this, God overflows our cup. You know, I thought about, of course, a cup. You know, you fill it with some water, and it overflows and goes all over the place. Kind of like if I let my kids get their own glass of water. That's usually what happens. But I like to think of it more like a volcano. <laughs> Every time I see Mount Rainier, I envision it exploding. Was that a confession? We were flying from LA a couple months ago, and we looked out the window, and above the, the, the line of clouds, we saw the three big mountains. One of them's Rainier, one of them is something else, and the other one's something else. Like, I saw the, the points of them, you know, popping up above the clouds. Has anyone ever had this experience? Yeah. And I just envisioned. <laughs> that would have been so cool. <laughs> you know, God fills us up. The pressure is on, and just you just gotta let it go. You just gotta let it overflow and burst with that gratitude. Look at Philippians chapter four. Love it. You know, the church in the first century was bursting at the seams with gratitude, and that was because they realized that their cup was overflowing. Their mountains were exploding. It's the Joel version. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. We're going to come back to that later on. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance, acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And the Seattle church said, Amen. No, right here he says, I'm going through some hardship and I am so glad that you're sharing in this hardship with me. He goes, I know you've been looking forward to sharing in this hardship. You've been wanting to suffer with me and share in my troubles for a long time, but God just didn't give you an opportunity. And so now I'm giving you that opportunity. 
He says, I, I, I know that you've been longing to suffer, and I'm going to give you that incredible opportunity. <laughs> now, here, here's the fact, guys. I mean, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in need. I've been broke. I've been rich. I've been there. Mm. But you know, you guys, you're really, really rich. Mm-hmm. And you've never known what it means to be broke. Wouldn't it be awesome to know what it's like to be broke? <laughs> you can share in this trouble with me now. Aren't you excited about this? Now here's my solution for you sharing in this trouble. Just give me all your money. The church is like, Paul, what are you talking about? Why would I want to do that? It doesn't make any sense. He goes, well, these other churches used to do it, but you haven't done it yet. And isn't this what you've been wanting to do for so long? And of course, any normal person would say, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. But Paul, Paul is, of course, talking about the spiritual things. Yes. He's, not, he's not asking and, and pleading and begging for them to give them money that's, that, you know, that they can't, you know, let me just stop right there. What he's, act, what he's saying is, I want you to give me on a spiritual level what I need to be supplied so that I can continue out my missionary journeys. Yes. I want to talk for a second about missions contribution. You know, in the first century, they had real hardship. They had real poverty. And I appreciate Rich kind of alluding to it. I, I didn't know he was going to talk about that. But, you know, when I went to Africa back in 2015, I, I saw real poverty for the first time. And I, I hadn't truly seen I had seen poor people. I had seen, you know, people that were homeless and things like that. But I had not experienced real biblical first century style poverty. And when I went over there, I mean, people die of starvation all the time. And, you know, there was this one time where we were in Abidjan. We went outside the city about an hour and a half to this cement village. Um, I believe it was called Abubu. And we get there, and uh, someone had donated some money to to build this cement town. I mean, everything was cement. The the streets were connected to the cement stairs, which were connected to the cement homes that were, you know, had cement walls and cement floors and cement ceilings and cement holes in the ground for you to go to the bathroom in. And everything was just, it just looked like a big mold. And we're going through the streets, and we, we came with a few carloads loaded with food. And in the, in the back of the cars, we had, uh, we had a bunch of these baguettes, you know, tons of bread. And then we had um, just bins and bins and bins loaded of, uh, um, you know, these, um, uh, like, little plastic bags with uh, spaghetti in them, with a tiny bit of red sauce. Not as much as you'd like on your spaghetti, but just a little flavor to it. Um, and then we had uh, other bins with pouches of, of Kool-Aid tied up with zip ties. And we, we get there, and we, we have to like form a line around the car so that the kids don't, don't barge into the cars and just you know, ruin everything. And so we create this like barrier around, around the, the cars, and we organize all the kids to get in a line and, and to wait for the food. And so we start bringing all the food out, and all the kids are starting to come over, and we're getting all the food out. And it wasn't long before you realize we don't have enough food to feed everybody. And I got this, I took out my old school cell phone, and I, I got a picture of the woman holding the last bag of spaghetti, like this, surrounded by about 30 children just reaching for the spaghetti. 
begging for the food because they had it, they were at the end of the line. They didn't get any food yet. And I got a picture of it. And I started crying. And I came home and I took that picture and I, I printed it out and I put it on our refrigerator and it's there to this day. I want my kids to always be grateful for what they have. And I, I leave it there as a memory for me and for the rest of the family and anybody who comes over to the house. And I made a decision that day that whenever I get hungry, I will never use the phrase again, I am starving. Because now I know what starving really looks like. And that was something special to me. And of course, after about a week of being there, I land back in America. And I, I remember landing and just my eyes just filled with tears of, wow, we are so spoiled in America. Now, I would wish that hardship on every one of you. In fact, I'd wish that hardship on every American. I think it would force us to live differently. I'm not trying to give anybody a guilt trip. I think God has really blessed America in an extent to this level of wealth. But I think he's given it to us for a reason. I think the reason is so that we can take care of all of those people outside of America. Now that is going to take living, living at a, a, to an extent at a, at a level lower than what we're comfortable with. Yeah. But you know, the call of a disciple is to give up everything as you follow yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And last time I checked in the Greek, everything means everything. Yeah. And the amazing thing about the Bible is that in Haggai, it says that all of the money, all the gold, all the silver in the world, it's God's. Meaning that money is never the issue. It's our hearts. Yeah. And so I just want to encourage every disciple not to go out and work harder at the fundraising. If you're already working hard, praise God, that's awesome. But to really examine your heart and say some prayers and beg God to give some of that money in the world to you for the missions. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26, it says that it is the role of the sinner to save up money to give to the righteous. Yeah. You go, really? That's in the Bible? That's in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 2.26. And I think that as a church, we've been incredibly generous. I don't know if you guys know this. We actually give to missions every week. Yep. We don't just give to missions once a year. 16% of the money that our church collects goes to missions already. Yeah. And so this is above and beyond an opportunity to share in the suffering so that we can be more spiritual in our relationship with God. Well, now the other thing I'd like to say is if you don't want to get missions, don't get missions. If you don't want to get missions, don't get missions. I, I'm not going to put you on blast. I'm not going to preach about it, but uh, what I will tell you is you need to really look hard into the mirror and see where your heart is at spiritually. Yes, absolutely. Because it is on the heart of every disciple to see the world evangelized and see the world saved. Therefore, we should want to give missions yes. as the church in Philippi. Amen? Amen. Amen? Come on. Point four. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, the only thing I can think of here is blessings. God has given us tremendous blessings. The fact that he follows us. Now, I'm not talking about blessings like you hear in the world. 
I'm saying blessings as in the Hebrew word blessing being superlatively happy. Right. And you know, when you are in this position to connect to God and you realize he's following you, he's with you, he's holding your hands, he loves you deeply. Oh, it's going to bring a tremendous amount of joy to your heart. Yeah. It's going to fill you with an inexpressible joy yeah. that you get to walk with the creator of the universe. Yeah. And, you know, we need to want this. We need to want our strongest desire to just be to be in a relationship with God. And, you know, David says, you will be, I will be in your house forever. Forever means forever. Yes, this is talking about eternity, spending eternity with God. And nothing should bring our soul more joy than that thought. Yes. I'm not going to turn there, but in Psalm chapter 119, verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed are those who, whose ways are blameless, who walk according to love of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. You know, if we're going to be blessed, we need to give God all of our hearts. Yes. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 says, but if, uh, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Jeremiah 29 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What is the common denominator throughout the entire scripture? Well, you're going to be blessed when you seek out with all your heart. And you're going to seek out with all your heart when you have a desire to do so. Yes. Now let's actually turn to James chapter 4. This might be our last verse. But I still got a lot more to say. So. James chapter 4, verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Nice. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what? What James is saying here is what David's saying. David cannot claim God is walking with me, he's there with me, I'm going to be in his house forever, just because he's human. Yeah. No, it's because he's coming close to God. Therefore, he can claim God is coming close to him. So often, we just want to be... 21st century style, comfortable, convenient, oriented, you know, Christians, where we just want God to come to us and everything to come to us and our relationship with him to be handed to us on a silver platter for him just to press a button and he just gives us all this grace, etc., etc. And yet we need to be taking the first step. We need to be the ones that are initiating with God. And there are so many people in the church. I'd like to just take a moment to lift up. I think that there are some incredible examples of people in the church that I think have been going above and beyond. And it's obvious. It's evident that they are seeking after God and God is seeking after them. I want to first lift up Ed and Lisa Zigwe. I think it's so incredible to see how much since they've gotten baptized and been around the church, how much their marriage has grown, their joy has grown, yes. their involvement has grown, their commitment has grown. They are truly amazing disciples yes. that we have here in the church. Right. I want to lift up the Adventure Squad. All right. These guys are such an inspiration to me. I love seeing the pictures online, you know, of Tyrese and John and Joshua, Kim, Alondra and everybody, and just seeing them out there having so much fun together, building memories together and having a good time. Yes. You know, it's obvious when you look at Joshua 
that he's drawing near to God. And isn't it incredible that as a two-month-old Bible talk leader, that already they've been fruitful and we got to see Dennis come to Christ. Chowshi had never led a Bible talk, and she filled in the gap. She stood in the gap. She proclaimed the, 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 the Lord to all the women at Shoreline. She did such a great job just being the pillar of the Shoreline students for so many months over there. And now it's incredible. Now she's over at UW because, Lord willing, she'll be transferring to the University of Washington very soon. You know, there's a brother that just means so much to me, and he's got no idea that uh, that he means so much to me. But I've got a photo of him right here, just oh, wow. holding my daughter, holding Kira, and that's oh. Eric Jones. Oh, you know, I never forget. Three years ago, we were having a, a park service, and we were wondering if anybody was going to come out visiting that day. And uh, Eric shows up, and he had taken an Uber from Federal Way for seventy-seven dollars. The number just kind of always stuck with me. And I remember afterwards, I just asked him, like, hey, I can, I can drive you home. He said, no, I'll just, I'll just Uber back. I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. I'm going to drive you home. And you can give me that $77. <laughs> and, you know, he's just become such a great friend uh, to me personally, and I think to so many people in the church. You know, he does so many things behind the scenes, even today. You know, we need to pray for the Jordans. They've, they've literally been up all night. They're sick. They're overwhelmed with uh, just life's things going on right now. They, they're trying to move. Their landlord comes in from China early this afternoon. And so we need to pray for them. Yes. But, you know, um, you know, this morning I get this call, and it's Peter. And he's like, I- I'm not going to be able to come lead the-, the worship. And I didn't have a doubt in my mind that Eric was going to fill in the gap. Yeah, and just Eric. an awesome job. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd like Eric to come forward here for just a yeah. second. Okay. Oh, Hard-working brother, and there's just literally uh, there's just no one in the church that can that can fill your shoes. So I to, uh, I'm very excited because uh, you know Eric's Eric's uh, you know from you know south part of Seattle and everything. He's got family down there. Um, and so I'm, I've actually uh, made a decision. I'm going to pull him temporarily from the Thursday night singles Bible talk, and he's going to be in uh, in our Sound Shock and Tuesday night. And you know, which which is really uh, accredited to the faithful perseverance of Hanalei Kaiser. You know, last year they went through a challenging time, and and they were pulling their hearts back. And I had to sit down and talk to them. I said, the answer to your issues is not to pull back. The answer is to get more committed. And they're like, okay, we'll get more committed. And then they started getting more committed. We started a Bible talk at their house. We had we had uh, one visitor at our first Bible talk. Then we had twelve visitors. Then we had eleven visitors. Akila got baptized. couple weeks, we're going to start meeting every Tuesday night for Bible Talk. Eric's going to be my assistant in that Bible Talk. Uh, Lord willing, um, Hen and Kendall will be joining us from Tacoma. Uh, But I'm just excited to see how God's going to use the Shaka Bible Talk. Now, when you look around the kingdom, guys, there are so many amazing blessings that God's given us. You know, the four holy provisions, hope. We have so much hope. 
over overflowing amounts of hope that we can give to those around us. We've been consecrated, and we've been called to call other people to be consecrated by Jesus Christ. We have been given this abundance materially that God wants us to overflow and explode our volcanoes and let it spread all over the world. And of course, we've got this amazing blessing of joy and happiness with just the opportunity to walk with God. And that's Psalm 23. I hope you're encouraged by it. We're starting a new series next Sunday. Amen. Love you guys.